0: Hello, my lovers, puppies, kittens, schmoopies. Does it sometimes feel like the world is too much with you? Now, I don't mean to be a Debbie, or should I say Deji Downer? Deji Downer! Yay, a Deji Downer here. But, being of Haitian descent, I am asked by others, what are you doing for Haiti? Earthquake! An earthquake is an act of God. There's only so much I can do. I can do what most of us tend to do when there are disasters that hit home or uh, a different part of the world. I contribute money, contribute to organizations and supplies. Then the president of Haiti, Jovenel Josmel, Josmel Moïse, gets assassinated. What? Does Deji do? Well, like most Haitians or Haitian descended people, or even compassionate folks who care about what's going on in the world. I feel outrage, indignant. I mean, foreigners enter a country and assassinate the sitting president, although he wasn't very popular or liked, but it doesn't matter. Then the Texas border happens. More outrage, more feelings of helplessness, and then the big D sets in. This big D is not Deji. This big D is depression. Deji's my nickname, by the way. It's a term of endearment coined by a friend years ago. Anyway, I digress. So, depression, sadness, embarrassment, shame. Time to call my better help therapist. Yes, I practice what I preach. 16 American missionaries, actually 17, one Canadian, workers and volunteers get kidnapped in Haiti. Kidnapped for ransom. What are you doing Nadege? Why why am I being asked what I'm doing? Am I this huge, that huge of a public figure? Hardly. Even if I were a huge public figure, would a plea from me make those kidnappers go, oh, oh, you mean Nadege said return these innocent people? Okay, let's do that. I doubt it. Nadege asked us to stop kidnapping and extorting people for money in this country, this poor, poor country. Let us stop right now. Come on, give me a break. So after some deep soul searching, I remember that what I can do Can only do to affect some change in this world as an individual is to do it at a time one small step at a time and maybe just maybe any small gesture from me will have a ripple effect my next guest my guest in this particular episode in my opinion is exemplary and an inspiration you need not have a huge platform in this world or in this country in order to effect some modicum of betterment for another. She and her husband, though they have a natural child, have been going the distance by doing all they can and are required to do, to be, and to have in order to become foster parents. What the fockery is foster parenting? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August also known as Deji, but we're going to stick to Nadej. <laughs> I just did what most people do with my name when they see it. They give it a hard G. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. And if this is your first time, welcome. It's a series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle truths or concepts we struggle with understanding, the very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss or don't discuss enough. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear lover Puppy Kitten Shmoopy, then thank you. For being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is Jamie Parker Stickle. I was a guest in her podcast called Make That Paper a while back. I will link that episode in the show notes. I've mentioned it before. Jamie is an actor and writer and holds an MFA in creative writing from the University of California, Riverside low residency program she is the creator and co-host of the hilarious and poignant podcast make that paper as i said before and is also the creator and host of the new storytelling series okay you guys dot 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 (laughs) in los angeles her published work can be seen in the 2018 and 2019 adelaide literary anthology among other places She has worked as the managing editor for the literary journal, The Coachella Review, and is currently co-editor of the literal journal, GXRL. She's the recipient of a Virginia G. Piper Desert Nights Rising Star Fellowship. Only the best for you, my lovers. My puppies, my kittens, my schmoobies. Jamie, I love your name, but for some reason, whenever I think of you, I want to say Popsicle.
1: <laughs> it's so funny because my son listens to Cuckoo Kangaroo and they have a song called Popsico. And he goes around going Popsicle. And I'm like, dude, that song is after me. That's great. I
0: love it. <laughs> What a coincidence. But that's what comes to mind. What the fuckery is foster parenting? Now, I'm going to say normally, this is when you would jump in and explain what it is. I think in theory, most of us by now who are at least in this country, the United States, know what it is. But here you are, someone who for all intents and purposes on paper has it all. You are a married woman. You have this wonderful husband. Uh, You have a beautiful boy. And yet you both are opting to join into the join into the foster care system. What the fockery is that about? <laughs>
1: um it's it, it's interesting um I come from a family of um kids who were adopted. My father was adopted from an orphanage um, at, you know, about a year old, just under. Um, My maternal grandmother was adopted from an orphanage when she was just over a year old. Um, It's something that always resonated with me growing up, the fact that um, the two of them had no history besides the one that was created with their um, adopted parents, fostered, began as foster parents and adopted them. Um, So that fascinated me. And, uh, you know, knowing my grandmother, this incredible person, I can't even imagine the kind of incredible children that are in the system that I would have the opportunity to know who would one day have children and be able to tell their story to. It just... It was just this thing that was always, I guess, bigger than life to me because I grew up watching Annie. I want, you know, when I saw Annie on stage, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be an orphan. I wanted to sing and dance, you know. But when you look back, a lot of the films, kids' films, had to do with children that were orphaned or fostered, you know. And that really pulled something inside of me. And I always knew from a young age, I used to tell my mom when she got me a cabbage patch doll. I said, this is great. Um, I adopted her and one day I'm going to adopt a child. You know, it was just always something that I would say oddly, um, but there was probably a lot of influence from from movies and television at the time.
0: Right. Wow.
1: I, you know, you
0: explain things in such a way that with such vivid imagery that I'm seeing an entire movie. I see you as a little girl <laughs> with your cabbage patch dog. Stop. Um yeah there is something do you, would you happen to know historically were orphanages did the foster care system replace orphanages as far as you know do you know how that all works
1: or worked I out? don't know how it all works and that is a good question and something you know now you, I love to go on uh, on research dives so now I'll go research that um I don't know how it started I know My grandfather was an immigrant and, um, he came over with his four brothers and their father, their mother had passed and his father wasn't allowed to stay in the country, but they said that the Salvation Army would take the five boys and foster them to a farm. And that's what they did. So he stayed and became a permanent, all five of them were permanent foster children on a farm. And this farm housed a lot of, um, children that way, immigrant children. And they were, they were called foster kids at the time. So I do know, even though they had, he had a father who was, you know, shipped over to Canada. Um, So I do know that the term isn't, isn't far away from orphanage. I know, you know, his wife, my grandmother was technically an orphan in in an orphanage in Oklahoma. So, um, you know, they, they are definitely, you know, closely related, but that is interesting that is something that I would look up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now you are in order to become a faster, a faster, yeah, a faster parent, a a faster and foster parent. Uh, what, what are some of the steps that you have to go through? How is that journey like?
1: So, um, first, first you really have to decide that it's something you want to do. And then you have to talk to people. I think, I think the greatest thing about social media, um, A lot of people don't want to broadcast it, which I totally understand, but through social media, you'll see that people have posted about their journeys or have looked into something. And it's good to start there before you just jump into the Los Angeles County or state of California foster to adopt or fostering system, because that can be incredibly overwhelming and a little bit deterring if I'm being honest. Um, But the great thing about It is that there are programs that are designed that are nonprofits to help um, aid people who do want to be foster parents. So instead of going directly through the county, you can go through a program. We're going through a program called Extraordinary Families, and they are extraordinary. Um, There's over 50 different programs in L.A. County. I can tell you that. Um, and we've have and know several people that went through extraordinary families. Um, and they make the process so much easier. And what they do is they give you an orientation. It's non-committed, you know, you don't have to commit to anything. They make it very easy, but they give you first this orientation they ask you to come to, and they're always very eager and, and awesome about providing information before you even commit to an orientation. Um, they're very transparent, which is awesome. Um, but going to their orientation, I think it's about two to three hours. It was almost three hours. And, um, we did it by zoom because of COVID, but it was so informative. And I cannot tell you how transparent they were, but with their transparency made you feel already a part of a system that is working for children. And I think that that is the most important thing. I mean, when you think about how many kids are in the system is very upsetting. Sorry. Cause we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're in the process of going through it. So we're taking a lot of class, months of classes. Um, when I think about the system and, and how it's designed um, I really think about the mothers a lot in the families of these children. And as a mother, I always wanted to help children, but I also now through this program, want to help mothers, you know, we don't live in a country that's designed to lift people Mm -hmm. that are impoverished up or people who are having trouble up. We just aren't, you know, you can talk about and say, well, we have government programs and government aid, but it's not getting to the people and it's not enough. And it's not actually assisting in the way that, you know, you can, you can sit outside of and go, oh, it's helping. It's not, you know, when a mother has to choose between paying rent, her sick child going to work, losing her job. And she has no choices. She has no daycare. She has no money to hire a babysitter. And so she leaves a nine-year-old in charge for six hours so she can go get a check. So she can take her kid to the doctor, you know, and then her kid is taken away because of that. You sort of just, you break a little when you hear these stories, you're like, that's not fair. That's, you know, that is, that's beyond unfair, you know? Um, And that's a system that is designed to work against women, which then works against children. And ultimately, they're the
0: ones who suffer. Yep. Who suffer. You know, I'm watching you getting you're getting emotional and that is also (laughs) affecting me. It, and I did that's not okay. want to.
1: I'm so sorry. Don't
0: apologize for that. That tells me that you are genuine and your heart is in the right place, and it's all heartfelt. But to stay on point, because I'm hoping this episode will inspire others to look yeah. into doing the same. Uh, a few episodes ago like way back like probably my 30th episode well, actually my 18th episode i did the same thing with a with a it was a single woman who went through the process and i was impressed that a single person can in fact do that alone yes. i always most people think that only couples are granted this this uh, this task when you say extraordinary families the agency you're going through um they were very transparent. What is, what is it? What do you mean by transparency? What kind of, what were they saying that was just like, wow, you didn't have to say that yet, but you're telling us. From yeah. the onset?
1: Yeah. They definitely. Um, are upfront about the difficulties. Um, this isn't an easy road. Um, you know, when you go through fostering, a lot of times people are, A lot of the stories that I hear from friends or people, you know, one, you know, one person away from me, um, are, are often single people or people who are couples who have tried and have not been successful in having a child. And so they decide they're going to go through the foster to adopt route, which is lovely. Um, but it's hard because, um, really the idea is everybody wants these children to go back to their birth families. You know, the idea is to make a family whole that we are a middle ground to assist in making another family whole again. It's this idea where, you know, no child and no mother should be separated if they want to be together. If there's, you know, enough evidence and enough room for that person to take care of their child, right. Enough support. So, that's hard for a lot of people because bonding with a baby or bonding with a child um having them for 6 to 18 months and then being told okay we they're going to be reunited with their birth family that is that can be um jarring it can it can be emotionally disruptive for both the child and the and the foster parent it can I don't know, it can, it can shatter your world, right? You've become a parent and now they're saying, okay, but this child belongs to their birth parent, right? So they were very upfront about it. You know, as foster parents, you, you really, you're not represented in, in, in the process of 18 months. Okay. Um, the foster child gets a lawyer, the, um, birth parent or parents get, uh, representation of course. And, the foster parent doesn't. You're there as, you know, you're working to help reunite and reunify a family. That is your job. Um, and should that fail, then yes, you become that child's family, you know, moving forward after 18 months. But 18 months is a long time to have a child and to bond with a child. So I think that was the biggest thing of transparency was them really laying it out. Like, listen. You have to be okay with this. You have to know that the journey isn't about you getting a baby. The journey is about you helping a child in need, whatever that is, you know, whether it's the rest of their life or whether it's just this 18 months, whether it's two weeks, whether it's six months, you know, and I think-
0: Yeah. You mentioned 18 months a lot. Is that the maximum allowed? Uh, Really? It's the maximum amount of time with one child. So then what happens if the parents don't come through or do they now
1: take the child and bring it someplace else or they give you the option to keep it for a little longer? Correct. It's at that point, um, at 18 months and listen, COVID has backed things up as I've learned through the program, but, um, it's technically 18 months. Um, you are that rights are then terminated from the birth family and you are um, up to adopt this child, this beautiful child that you have been with for the past however many months. What and
0: happens if you choose not to adopt? Is
1: that an option? Yes, that that is an option. And I'm sure that there are extenuating circumstances, but hopefully before you got to the 18 months, that would already have been rectified. So if you have a child placed with you that is just not going to work out in, in your home in, within the family, you would want to um, rectify that immediately, not allow a child to um, connect to you for 18 months and then say, okay, your mom's out and I'm out too. You know, that that would be, I can't imagine that happening and should it happen, I, I think that it would be um, cruel. Cruel. Cruel and for very specific or for very specific health reasons. Very specific health reasons. I would hope, you know, um, because when you sign up, especially with extraordinary families, and I don't know how all the agencies work, but especially with extraordinary families and how the the state is trying to work it now, is you're called a resource family. You're no longer called a foster family, and the idea is that we are taking taking out that foster idea and you are a resource family to the birth parent and the child. And you are um, committing to adopt this child should that, um, should those uh, birth parent rights be terminated. So you're making a commitment to that. So um, if you would know pretty quickly, I think within the first month, if a relationship wasn't going to work out for your home and they would, you know, find other placement early on.
0: How did you zero in on extraordinary families? How did you find them? Did you check out other agencies and you chose them? And what was it about them that made you go, they're the right fit for me, for us? Yeah. That's,
1: so I like to call it my sixth sense, but um, I, so our child, we had some um, getting out of COVID. We had some uh, tennis lessons at this little community center tennis clinic. And I met this woman who had three sons um, and we both showed up for a day that there was no tennis. Um, and I was talking to her and she was like, so you just have the one. And I was like, yes, but. We are looking to become foster parents. And I don't know why it just slipped out of my mouth. It's not something that I had told anyone at that point. Um, My husband and I were were just between us and he was ready to go. He was like, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's, you know, let's start looking into it. And she said about 20 minutes later, she said, so remember when you said 20 minutes ago about fostering? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, who are you working with? And I said, "Um, no one yet. I'm just on the, you know, LA County fostering pages. And she like "Stop." I fostered to adopt. This is our child. Um, two, she had naturally. And then the third one they adopted and fostered to adopt. And she goes, we went through a place called extraordinary families and I can't recommend them enough. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, was like, okay. So I went home and we've since become, these are great friends. Now. Um, I went home and researched extraordinary families and I, I just, fell in love with their website and their people. And I emailed them just to get more information and they were prompt and kind and supportive and no pressure and like come to this orientation. And like, it's just one of those things where I didn't have to work at all. They were putting in all the work to like, show me like, we are here for you. We are supporting you. We are your support system through this process. And that was huge because I've heard nightmare stories um from secondhand or from other people who have gone through fostering. And it has been a nightmare. And this group is just amazing. Hands-on. Very hands-on. They let you know through the whole program that they are your team and they show it. They show it. So how long is this training
0: and how long have you been doing it? How close are you to finishing or how are you close?
1: Yeah, we're close to finishing. Um, we're dragging our feet a little just because, um, we wanted our son to have therapy before, before another child came into the house so that he has the tools, um, should one to accept a new person into the house, even though he's, you know, full steam ahead. And he tells people, this was my idea. They're doing it for me. And I'm like, oh yes. Okay. Smart. Um, but, uh, so, but it's a couple months of, in-person meetings, but because of COVID, it was all done over Zoom. And you, you have a cohort, like people start the training together and you're, you're sort of through it the whole way, which is great because they become a part of your support system too. And we'll all be approved to be able to babysit for each other, the foster children, because that's a big thing. So, um, you find people in your vicinity or within a couple miles of you. Um, and then you, Coincidingly, on your own, you go to online fostering university, which is where the real stuff really happens, where you see a lot of things that you um, won't forget, and you hear a lot of stories that you won't forget, won't soon leave you. So, so you do that when we're through both of those, this university, when you say you
0: see things, are you then presented with real case scenarios of this is a child and this is what happens and this is what's going on. So you're, you're see, you see, and you know, for a fact, these are the, what's available and what's out there, what's happening.
1: Yeah. So you get worst case scenarios. Um, And they do talk to you about worst case scenarios too, in the live classes as well but um when somebody's just telling you stories it doesn't it's not as impactful as actually seeing visually these stories play out so the online university you know shows you a lot of visuals of these stories playing out and that that has a huge impact um and we also talk to families who have been through the program so we were able to talk to i think 3 families who have successfully fostered to adopt um with amazing success stories and amazing stories about the birth mothers, um, you know, i I have a lot of compassion for the mothers. I can't imagine i I can't imagine a a, a harder gift to give your child than mm-hmm. to living with a family that is going to be able to better provide at that time. That is the hardest and best gift. I think these women are so the most unselfish people I can, I can imagine. Um, and I just want to stress that because I think like a lot of people think um, bad parents, drug bad addicts, parents,
0: criminals, that yes. too. No, no, it isn't. It's super
1: <sighs> circumstantial, isn't it? It's very circumstantial. Each case is different. Um, so, yeah. So you see a lot of the the hard cases on university, uh, Foster University, um, which we're nearly through now. Uh, that's what we're finishing up now. And then we do, um, we've already done, you do a background check, you know, they do police reporting, we go and give our fingerprints. um, They look if you've had any traffic violations. um. That's specific, huh? Oh, yeah. Jason, my husband uh, was previously married for two years right out of college. Uh, which was a while ago and he still had to provide his divorce decree from his first marriage, which is wow. um, kind of funny. He's like, I don't even know if I had it, but we did. It was in the drop box. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, they are very buttoned up as I would hope they would be in that it's not a problem for us. Like we're happy to go through the jumps, jump through the hoops to like show that, you know, we're, we're good to go. Yeah.
0: We're, When you were um, so so with extraordinary families, I imagine every agency is different. So you obviously can't speak to or for the other agencies. Right. Uh, Does the program work in terms of hours completed or length of time spent? Do you have like, okay, you must complete
1: X amount of hours before you Right. You must complete their program. So if you must be in attendance for the entire program and because it was on Zoom, you had to have your camera on so they knew you were present the entire time and you had to stay the entire duration of each class. Um, And if you had to miss a class, then yes, you had to make that up in the next session. So even if you, so say it was six to seven classes, seven classes and you missed class five, you would not be allowed to just move on in the process until class five was made up. Got it. So yes. So you have to complete the classes and then the online university um, has uh, markers. So it's less hours, but it shows that you've, you've fully listened. You can't skip ahead. You can't um, just fast forward and mark it as done. Like it doesn't allow you to, so they see where you are and how much you have left. So you are putting in all those hours um, <clears throat> listening to cases. It's a lot of um psychology classes on the children, how to respond, uh, language to use, um, things like that.
0: I'm gonna go out in a limb here and 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 guess. I'm sure you are, are you are already an extraordinary mother in your own right. But are you finding that these classes are actually making you even more like of a better mother?
1: Oh, oh, Nitesh. Are you kidding me? This is the one thing I said to Jason Bieber, my husband. I was like, everybody should have to take these classes while they're pregnant or thinking of getting pregnant. Why didn't they give me this when I was having a baby naturally? Like, no, I mean, these are the best classes I've ever taken, ever. Sometimes it's long and you're like, oh, I've got so much work to do. I do not want to sit through a parenting class. But my God, yes, these classes are so. Good. I cannot recommend them enough. I can't, I do not feel spoken down to. I do not feel judged, judged. I feel like, holy crap, if I had had this, I would have like, maybe my postpartum wouldn't have happened. I don't know. You know, like this was, it's, they're so good. Everyone should take these classes.
0: Yeah, they're you so know. Good. I've always felt, being a child of a couple that got married way too young when they had no business having children, at least. I mean, I yeah, get married, but don't bring kids into the mix because you're both ill-equipped. I feel strongly that parenting classes have to be requirements for everyone. You know, like at yeah. school, the same way they force you to take certain classes, well, this should be one, like in high school, maybe as you're graduating that last year.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I mean, we won't even, okay, not we, because I don't work for them, but extraordinary families doesn't even allow, you know, uh, adults under 25, you have to be over 25 to be a part of the program. Cause they're like, if, if you're like under 25, we're going to tell you to go have a great life and come back when you're older, like have lived your life because, you know, like they know, like you're not ready for this amount of information and in this task, right? There's other ways for you to, to get involved at a younger age, you know, like being a, um, a volunteer and helping, you know, the older kids in the system, you know, but like, geez, I, well, I brain, can't
0: believe it. Your brain isn't, isn't fully formed yet until you're 25 to begin with. So okay. that's a start. Uh, Are you allowed to choose the age range of the child you would like, or is it just sort of
1: like first come first serve
0: basis? This is the first available child.
1: You can do both. You can be open to all of it. Um, but there are age ranges. We are in the zero to four because our son is six. Um, and after talking to therapists and doing a lot of research, birth order is very important. So because he's our birth child, being the oldest in the situation was the recommended, um, uh, age was recommended that children be under him. That um, so sense. he could have be big brother, you know? Yeah. So even though he was like, well, I'd like a big sister. We were like, <laughs> okay, mommy's buddy. your big sister, sweetheart, <laughs> right? You can have an aunt. Um, but he's he's pretty funny. He's very much he is just so ready. He is so ready to do this. I can't express that to people. And that was my biggest concern in waiting until he was a certain age. So he could be a part of it in the way that he could understand versus like being a three-year-old and us having foster kids and then they're gone. He might just think it was daycare. I don't know, but, um, but yes, so we are zero to four So I've
0: had a single woman go at it alone and she successfully adopted. Uh, You are a couple doing it during your classes. Were there any single men who just want to have a child or is that? Yeah.
1: No. Well, I think there was one single man, but when I think back on it, I think his partner just had missed a meeting or two, but there were a number of single women. I would say there, we had four. I think there were 16 of us total, and there were four or five single women.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, There were multiple um, same-sex couples, lots of same-sex couples, and then, you know, um, maybe two or three of us that were in a cis-hetero relationship. Right. Yeah. Do they insist that
0: people, if they are a couple, to be legitimately under the law recognized as married or can you just be in partnership? Yep. Great. Yeah. What is the age range? Do you know the answer to this? That is the most populated, the most in need and less often chosen in the foster population? Yeah. It's the older kids. Yeah. Older being from how old to what?
1: So the, it's sectioned off and, um, forgive me because I don't have the percentages in front of me, but we are taught this. Um, so it's zero to four, five to nine, and then the next bracket would be nine or 10 to 14. Um, and that's when you start, that's, I think it's nine to 14, um, that, and then the next one up 14 to 18, um, you know, we talked about, and I don't want to get any of this wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to preface it with, I don't have the statistics in front of me and I don't work in the system full time. Although going through this experience has made me want to change careers from being a writer to a social worker. Um, I, I, I mean, it's crazy, but, um, uh, yeah, you know, when kids get a little bit older, um, there are a lot of reasons that they end up in the system and it's, you know, um, what a are lot some of those
0: things. reasons? Can you just example? I mean, you're not giving anyone in private information away. Right.
1: Um, well, the uh, coming out LGBTQ. So is that. They uh, get if, kicked out of home. Parents
0: mm-hmm. neglect them or kick them out. Okay. So that's one. So do they then enter themselves into the foster system?
1: No, I don't know exactly how that happens. I imagine they end up homeless. I imagine that if they get brought in, for some reason. Um, but at nine years old, I imagine, you know, maybe parents, yeah, maybe parents just. And enter them into the system. Like, you know, they didn't really get into that. Um, which is interesting. Wow. That is interesting. And I can't, I just. That's a good question. I'm curious.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm, yeah, like, you know, what happens if your parents kicked you out because, you know, you have a sexual orientation that is not to their liking and do they, you know, what happens? Um, so, okay, so that's one group. Uh, what are some other reasons? Because I don't know, can you get taken away at
1: 14? I. You can, yeah. Yeah. For can. What are some reasons? Neglect. Yeah. Um... Neglect is a big one. Um, what is considered neglect? Uh, at 14, I, I I would assume at 14 that it would, a, a school would have to be involved in seeing neglect. Um, and I know that that's the case for like around the nine-year-olds. Like, uh, cause at that point, oftentimes I don't, I am trying to remember specifically one of the case studies they showed. Um, I do know, okay, I do know about one nine and 10-year-old. Their mother, unfortunately, was on drugs. Um, She had multiple children, multiple, multiple children. And they were all taken into the system multiple, multiple times. So um, child welfare checks happen. And often at that point, I don't think it would be a first time offense if a 14 year old were taken out i think that this child probably would the mother would have been in the system already had kids taken away or that child taken away before gotten back together and then her relapsed and on a welfare check probably lost the child again um that is something that happens um i think it's i think it's a hard a hard thing to stay clean and to, to stay sober um especially when things are Against you, you know, when you're, I don't know, but I would assume that the older kids, it's, it's a multiple repeat offense, like of the parent so that the welfare checks would indicate, you know, okay, this isn't going well. They have to get established.
0: Yeah, a pattern gets established. And um, do you know, I have, uh, and I think it's okay if I share this, an aunt in New York who uh, fostered a child. As soon as the child was born, the mother was serving a a sentence at Rikers Island, uh, but she was a crack addict or some kind of drug addict. And my aunt had the child and she was ready to adopt the child, and suddenly the mother resurfaced saying she wanted her daughter back. And so for a while, it was painful and tenuous. The kid was four at that point. And, uh, and how my aunt ended up adopting Lily was she just, the mother just didn't show stop showing up at hearings.
1: Yeah, that happens. Yeah,
0: so by default, you know.
1: <sighs> yeah. I think it's, you know, what I, Far be it for me to put any opinion on anything. This is just strictly from like just watching a lot. And again, I've not watched enough because I'm not a social worker, but, you know, this has really affected me in that way. Um, I just feel like when when you've, I don't even know if I should say this, but um, when you have a younger child, I think it's easier to possibly see them with another family and going, okay, listen, that's a baby and you're going to take better care. And it might be easier to look like you're fighting for that child by not showing up to court, you know, versus just terminating the rights, your parental rights on your own. Um, it just sits with me that way. Like, I think that's a mother that was like, I'm not just going to like sign my kid over. Cause I don't want them to think I stopped fighting for them. But if I don't show up, then that That person is going to get my baby and they're going to do right by them.
0: You know what? Strategically, that makes sense. And that is a perspective I never considered because it's so easy to be in judgment. It's like, oh, look at that. She's probably back on drugs. She just stopped showing up. But you're right. It is a good strategy because if I just terminate my rights, sign the papers over, then I just seem like this cold hearted, heartless person, whereas the selfless choice is in fact to get let the child be with someone who's had them since day one and this child poor thing was born addicted and has had a lot of um issues but you know therefore by the grace of god she is doing well with a lot of therapy and a lot of a lot of love um great yeah yeah hey listeners The term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so, and I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care, and one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, It's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So get started today and you, as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Fockery10. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Fockery10. In fact, use Fockery10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. Ooh, we, we are spilling some tea, wouldn't you say? My lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my shmoopies. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm more likely to stick with a healthy habit if I know why it's helping me. And that's why I'm happy that we are now being sponsored by Peak Tea. Now, why do I love Peak Tea so much? Well, other than the obvious fact that they are sponsoring the podcast, they are also offering you, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my shmoopies, a discount, Fockery 5, 5% at everything you order. Uh, Use code Fockery 5 at checkout. But back to why. So here's what I found out. There are three secrets to unlocking the benefits of plants and to maximize health potentials. Number one, antioxidants. They are known as nature's cleanup crew. Uh, They are found in green tea, black tea, elderberry, turmeric, all things that they have. Antioxidants help protect cells against harmful effects and free radicals and oxidative stress resulting from aging, environmental toxins, and more. And uh, number two, science tells us the benefits of the plants are groundbreaking, but why are so many experiencing minimal benefits? Well, because the key to getting the most nature has to offer is lies in its quality, quality. Well, peak tea takes the highest quality plant ingredients from supreme sources, like from Aswan, Egypt, to Kagoshima, Japan, they then extract the bioactive compounds in the tea and the super plants at cold to low temperatures for up to eight hours using uh, what they call the cold extraction technology. And the final result, it's an amazing antioxidants. The antioxidants are actually preserved in whole form. And finally, radiant health my gosh, Radiant Health comes with consistency and Peak Teas products are designed to be simple, effective and enjoyable. Trust me, take it from someone who is now a Peak Tea fan and addict. I do their Pu'er tea. Great for your microbiome. Their green tea in the afternoon. Oh, by the way, the Pu'er has gotten me off coffee in the mornings. Oh, my New York just came out. Off. Get off of me. <laughs> uh, if you hop over to our uh, Instagram page, you will see the tea, what it looks like. Their matcha is to die for. But here's the thing you will never want to use a tea bag again because they come in crystal forms. All you have to do is just add hot or cold water to your peak tea crystals and done. Done, done, done. Go to peaktea.com. That's P I Q U E tea.com links and show notes, of course, and use discount code Fockery five at checkout for 5%. Whenever you need a little pick me up, just get some pick tea, pick tea. All right. <laughs> Back to the show. Where are the children? Are the children held in a space in while they're waiting for homes So when, you know, in movies, we see this in TV shows, the foster parents, social workers come, they rip the child away from the family. Where does the
1: child go that night? Right. It's a good question. In Texas right now, what's happening is there's such a backlog that in Texas, they're actually um, at the offices of the social workers. They had like four kids sleeping in um, their offices because they had no placement for them. They had nowhere for them to go. These were, you know, teenage kids and they just, they had nothing for them. Um, and it's been a real problem. And I have a friend who's a, a big uh, advocate in Texas and um, she's uh, fostered and adopted two kids, but she's a, a big advocate for the fostering system there. So um, her stories are very compelling. And she, you know, is Texas is a, is a little bit of a must, but um, in LA County, uh, they, don't know that they have a, a holding place for them, but what they do through these agencies is they have, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called again. Um, they have any e- emergency families, basically, where uh, people have agreed to take this child until they can find placement for them. So it, it, it's an interim home. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have they done the whole check on you, come to your space to see if your home is up to par? What, what happens? What's that about?
1: So it's, um, yes, they're going to do a home study, it's called, uh, and we have a checklist, so they haven't come yet. Um, we're almost to that stage. We'll be there very quickly, actually. We've been um, going through the checklist and making our house ready, so yeah. Um, what they do is they'll come walk through and do a home study and tell you the things that uh, you have to have done before um, a child can come. Sometimes. And
0: then what's an example? Cause I mean, you have a son already. I imagine yeah. the, the house is childproof or
1: was childproof. Well, at some point. yes and no. Um, we have to put child proofing back up on medicine cabinets, which means locks on medicine cabinets, locks on liquor cabinets, locks on cupboards with cleaners in them. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other things. Oh, you know, if you have stairs, which we don't think goodness. but if you have stairs, you have to have baby gates. So it's basic baby proofing. Yes. And that's zero to four. Um, the checklist for the older kids, I haven't gone through since I'm really trying to focus on what we are fostering. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's your, it's your basic child proofing. This isn't, it's not, it's so, it's so funny to me because, A lot of people have the wrong idea about children in the system. They really do. Um, And and little patients. And I just want to clarify something really quick. This is a long, I'm trying to cut a long story short, but one, psychologists and doctors have proven that children after six months of being in a stable, caring environment, um, can change. Their brains can change. So this idea that we make narcissists at, in the first six months of life and then they can't change and they're always going to be this person is absolutely incorrect. Neuroplasticity you, is what that's called. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, thank you. Thank you for being so smart. Um, mm, I try. Because sometimes I just can't think of the words. Um, so yeah. So like, listen, these kids just need care and stability and Touch, love the basics. Better. The basics. So, anyways, um, I because I say this because this person came up to me and they were like, Oh, you're gonna you're gonna foster, you're gonna have to get rid of all your knives. I heard you have to get rid of all your knives. And I was like, listen, I got rid of all my knives the day my baby was born because I was afraid of them. I was like, no knives in the house. There's a baby. Um, so listen, listen, that is not true but you do have to baby proof. They cannot touch the knives, but like, no, I I don't know what house your friend fostered in or what kind of person they did, but maybe your friend who did it was nuts. I don't know. I don't know. These are children. Come on. Did
0: they require that your this child or potential child have
1: its own room or can it share with your son? They can share up until the age of eight. Um, and then exceptions can be made. Uh, if they're same sex, for instance, like if same sex, they can share a room. If they're opposite sex, then when, as soon as one of them becomes eight years of age, they have to come into separate rooms, but exceptions can be made. Um, but also, you know, if you've adopted the child at that point before anyone turns eight, then nobody's coming and checking and going, no, the sister and brother can't share the room. Like at that point, you know, but, um, but yeah, if you're if you're gonna move into a bigger home that has an extra bedroom, you know they can give you an extension, um, and that's that's fine. They have done that before. We did ask about that. Yeah,
0: I am so excited for you and Jason. I really yeah. am. Thank you and for your and for your little boy too. I mean, he's he's gonna have a sibling. Do you get to choose the sex or it's whomever you, you're open to either, as long yeah, as you, they're
1: younger. You, you can we want to be as open as possible. So, um, what they do try to do is, is put children, you know, sex, we don't care. Um, but they also try to put children culturally as close to their culture as possible. Um, and I applaud that. And, you know, statistically in the system, it's, it's, it's a mix, but, you know, um, we, so we race, should, race and all of that and culture, they're all factors. They're all factors. Religion, religion, right. race, culture, um, they're all factors. So, you know, we just try to be as open as possible and we're going to start Spanish lessons just in case, you know, we can be a, a, a bilingual family if we need to be. And, you know, we have friends from everywhere. So, you know, the blessing of living in Los Angeles is that we can immerse any child. We hope to be able to immerse any child within their culture and make sure that that, that is something that we give them. Um, yeah.
0: Amazing. I I can always remove that, audience, listeners, puppies, kittens, shmoopies. You Do you know that I, for the last year I've just had a new birthday and I'm actually at that point where I'm thinking you know what if all else fails that's going to be
1: my route I'm seriously considering it I think that's awesome and I will be here for you I will be one of your support people and I will babysit and I will help you go through it and I won't leave you alone I mean that's- Listen, if I take you up on that offer, I will put you on blast if you, if you change Oh, I know you will. To- oh, I know you will. And you have an audience to do it. No, I will be here for you a 100% because I really didn't want to talk about it. Uh And I... W- it took me a year to put it on social media when we had decided that we were 100% doing it. Um because I didn't want to look like a white savior or a performative white person or look at what I'm doing, applaud for me, you know, because that's not what it's about and that really concerned me a lot. It really concerns me. But the thing is at the end of the day to everybody, the reason we put it out there is because we're asked to because we need more people involved. We need more families, more individuals, more humans to care about the kids in this country and know that if we don't step in, we can't break cycles. We can't make healthy adults by leaving them in situations where we don't care because what we don't see, we don't know. You know, turning a blind eye is not the solution in every child when they are brought into this world is owed their worth they are owed to know that they are valuable that they are cared for that they have as much worth as any other human being walking around and it is our job as as a community as a country as people as human beings to care for them that's what would have happened in the past you know like we don't do that as a village anymore and we have to, it's our job. And so I promise you, I would be here for you.
0: Thank you. And I'm sure you, you would agree with me though. And you may have alluded to that early on. It's a shame that, I mean, it's applaudable that we are taking the kids and you wanna take them and you know everything you've said, yes, 100%. But we have got to do better by women. Yep. We have got to do better by women. And I'm sorry to say, and please, listeners, if you disagree with me, I'm neither pro or con or whatever. I don't have a particular affiliation, but all I know
1: is that right to choose
0: has to be available.
1: Oh, my God. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I
0: mean, you're forcing this person to do something that they know is going to impact their life and the life of this potential life. Right. And yet you're turning a blind eye once that potential life is now a life and running around and has no one to care for it. Right. It has to start with a better support system for women.
1: Right. The choice is pro-choice or anti-choice and it's all anti-life if you're anti-choice. You know, there's no there's no gray area there. Yeah. There's, there's no gray area. Um, And from a spiritual perspective, now, that's a whole other thing, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, a life isn't a life until there's ensoulment, until a soul reaches. And that is the great debate. When is the soul? When is the soul? uh, When does it enter the human's body? So that's a whole other thing that maybe it's a conversation with a spiritualist and that perspective of things.
1: But that's what I personally believe.
0: Oh, man.
1: And, And we don't kill souls bodies are, we are, yeah. leaves a body the minute it's done with the body, right? That's what we believe spiritually, or, or mm-hmm. I will say the people that definitely make a market for anti-choice. Um, let me tell you something. A soul is not connected to a body. That is what we've always been taught. A soul is not connected to a body. So therefore pro-choice. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Bottom line. I thank you for your service. Forget your time with spent with me. And I it's good to know that I have people, that I have you down the line, perhaps a year from now, if I take that plunge and that leap of faith to 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 turn to and say,
1: Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> I will be here and I will have all the baby supplies and I will rally and we will have we will have a foster to adopt baby shower and it'll be so great. It'll be great.
0: Yeah. I think so too.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I probably should ask your husband how he feels about this. I felt like talking to you uh, was uh, more comfortable. only, and I don't know if that's sexist of me to feel that way. No. Only because your body your body has birthed. So it isn't a need to do it again or to do it period. That is no. your raison d'être that's making you do that. Yeah. So it's coming from a pure, loving place. But whose idea was it first? Who had that first spark? I know you, as a child, you always felt like, someday I will. But how did you end up with a man who happens to be like, yeah, me too? Is that how it worked?
1: Um, It did a little, you know, I'm I'm sort of a very vocal person. Uh, I remember at the beginning of our relationship, I had said to him, listen, if I get pregnant, um, I'm keeping the baby. So if you want to have sex with me, just know... I'm not trying to get pregnant, but if I get pregnant, I'm keeping the baby. And I just want you to know that up front because I, you know, I did this. And so it is my responsibility and I will have this baby. And he was like, oh, me too. And then I was like, oh, okay. So that didn't work. Okay. That didn't scare him off. Okay, great. So he's sticking around. And I probably said something like a year later, like I would love to be a foster parent one day. And then him five minutes later, oh, me too. Ever since I started babysitting kids in New York City. And my mom was like, why are you a babysitter? You're a boy. And I was like, because I love kids. And I was like, oh, I love you. Um, It's just this thing like this is before you had your child, before we had our child. And then we had we didn't really have trouble having a child but I was it took us a year to get pregnant. I was in my 30s. And, um, that's very normal. And we were stressed out and we work all the time and, you know, um, it's very normal, but I was like, okay, if we can't have this baby, we're going to start fostering. Right. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not, he had done a documentary. He was, um, a director on a documentary for, um, in vitro, this family who had gone through 15 years of trying to have a a baby naturally. Hmm. And at one point, I arrogantly said, just foster it to adopt a child. There are so many children in this world that need a home. Why are you spending a hundred thousand dollars in 15 years when there's a child desperately wanting someone like you to parent them? And it was arrogant of me because I believe that, but also because I understand better now why people want to have their own child too, you know, cause I'm older now and I sort of, I'm like, okay, I shouldn't judge so harshly. Right. Um, and at that time, you know, Jason was like, yeah, just so you know, if if we can't have this baby naturally, we're, we're signing up like immediately, we're going to be foster parents. And that's what we're doing. And I was like, yeah, duh. Like, so it was always sort of, you know, we're we're always just sort of like that. We're very like that. It's hard to, We've been together for 12 years, so So, taking it all the way back. You didn't have to threaten him with anything. You didn't have to threaten him. But when he did say about seven months ago, like, I think we should pull that foster trigger now. Like, let's do it. I was like, are we ready? Like, he was the one that was ready before me. And that's because COVID really sort of, um, I think COVID hit me harder than it did him. Uh, And I was just like, how does that work with COVID? How do we do that? Because, you know, with covid you know, the the children, the foster kids get a weekly visit with their birth parent. And I don't know if they're vaccinated. I don't know. You know, it's just a lot. It's a lot. And there's a lot of intimacy. And I was sort of like, I don't want to expose my six year old son because who's not vaccinated because he's six to potentially come becoming ill. So it was a lot. And, and Jason had to really coax me like, no, we're ready and someone needs us. And this has proven it to me more than ever. So I was like, OK, mm. let's have faith and do it. You know, I must say, when you were
0: going back to the documentary, when you what you labeled as arrogance and when you were saying, you know, why are you spending all this money when there are perfectly healthy children who need you? Um, You said now you understand why people want to have their own child. Why do you think people want to have their own child?
1: Honestly, I said that to be polite. I don't get it. (laughs) I I don't know. If it doesn't happen, like there are these gorgeous children that are just like, take me home. And like, you can. Um, But I do think like the idea of a child being removed from you, you know loving a child so hard and then it being taken away at 18 months is the is the biggest factor for people. Nobody's going to take away your child if you're, you know, if it's your own. If it's your own unless you're impoverished, um no one's going to do that. But somebody will take away your child possibly, you know, in 18 months. And and that that that's the thing that is really hard and I think that's why for Jason and I our family is complete. Like explaining that to people, like, no, we're not trying to expand our family. But if we can help someone, and our family expands, we have room to grow. Mm. There is a difference, you know. What we want to do is is help a child know their value and worth because we believe in human beings, and we believe that that's the right thing to do. Right. Amazing. <sighs> well. That's our
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> That's our time because I've run out of questions to ask. I've run out of things to say. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot to think about and this conversation is very inspiring. I commend you both for doing this and I I said it before, I'm saying it again. Thank you and this child is very very lucky. Um, so. yeah, 18 months is the rule of thumb here. Oh yeah, and that goes by pretty quickly too, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Well, keep me posted.
1: I'll I be will. checking
0: in with you. Thank you. I normally ask my guests to say goodbye the way they say goodbye to their loved one. I want you to say goodbye to my audience the way you say goodbye to either Jason or your son or your mommy or your puppy.
1: Okay, um, I say goodbye with an affirmation. I, I ask Jason and Jack to always repeat after me when they leave in the morning for school and work. I say, um, I am loved, I am loved, I am brave, I am brave, and I am willing to accept new challenges. I am willing to accept new challenges, and mommy loves you. Beautiful. Well, you've heard it here. You are
0: loved, you are brave and you are willing to accept new challenges. Bye.